Okay, we are in Sefer Malachim Bays, Perik Dalid, parts of Aleph, the Isha Achat Minashei B'nei Hanaviyim. We saw in Perik Gimel that Elisha performs an amazing, miraculous event on behalf of B'nei Yisrael. Specifically, he delivers the nation of Moab into the hands of Yehoram, uh, Melech Yisrael, and Yehoshaphat, Melech Yehuda. Now we're going to see in Perik Dalet a series of four absolute miracles, Nisim and Eflos, that are done for individuals. So let us begin with Potsach Aleph, Isha Achas A woman who was the wife of one of the Bnei HaNavim, which we have described as disciples of students of Nevi'im, Sa'aka Elisha cries out to Elisha, she intercepts him somehow, Lemor saying, Avdecha Ishi Meis, my husband has died. And you know that my husband was a tremendous Yerashamayim. Hanosha is a, a creditor, and the creditor has come to seize my two children as slaves, as servants. What are we talking about here? The woman's husband, by near unanimity of all the Mepharshim, is the Navi Obadja. We have met him before. Obadja appears in Treosor as a minor Navi. He is described in the Navi when we learned it just as she describes him, uh, Yoreas Hashem. But his biggest accomplishment was he was the major domo, as it were, of Ahab's household. He ran Ahab's palace. Uh, he was in charge of the entire operation. But more importantly, when Izebel went on a rampage on the systematic assassination of every Kohen Yisrael, he hid a hundred of them, 50 in one cave, 50 in the other cave, and he sustained them. He sustained them, say, with his own money, uh, at the risk of his own life, and they were all saved from Izevel's assassination. Those were the only hundred that survived. Unfortunately, during this process, he ran out of money. It was his own money, limited. He absolutely gave everything he had. And what he did to finance the saving of the Nevi'im was he borrowed money. Who did he borrow from? He borrowed it from Yehoram, who was Achav's Bechor, Achav's son, and next in line. And he borrowed it in violation of all Jewish law of what we call ribis, interest. He had to pay exorbitant interest. Now he has died, he has died destitute, and Yehoram is coming now to collect his collateral, which are their two sons. He's going to take this Almana's two sons 
into servitude. So the question, of course, is how could he do this? How could he even ribbis? It's an absolute Easter. So some of the Mephorshim say as king, he was, uh, you have a certain extra legal authority, and this is what he may have used. On the other hand, you could ask it from the other side. Obadja, the Easter falls even on the, lend- the borrower. Why would he pay? Uh, this kind of exorbitant interest rates. The answer is again pikuach nefesh. You are the Shulchan Aruch tells you that if it's pikuach nefesh, he had to save these kohanim from what was certain death. You are permitted to do so. So now you're faced with that problem. He's still going to take her two sons. By Yomare leha Elisha. Elisha says, Ma'aselah, what can I do for you? Tell me what you have in your house. I have only a tiny flask of oil in my house, only enough to measure says to anoint one finger. What is he asking? What does it matter what she has in the house? Um, what does that have to do with anything? Says the Mephorshim that there can't be a bracha. You didn't want a bracha to chal in a house where there's nothing. There has to be something in the house that triggers the bracha. So, for example, we learned, uh, Shulchan Orca tells us, that when one benches on Shabbos, you would leave the breadcrumbs on the table, because the breadcrumbs are the triggering of the bracha that we are about to make in Birkas Hamazon. Similarly, the Gemara tells us that Chanukah, the miracle isn't seven days, it's eight days of Chanukah, because there was enough oil left after they burnt the first night. They had only oil for one night, but yet there was oil that remained that triggered the remaining oil for the rest of Hanukkah. So that's what it means. You need something in the house. And she says, all she has is a pach of shemen. Go now, he tells her, and borrow from all your neighbors as many kalim utensils as you can get your hands on, pots, pans, jugs, uh, plates, uh, all kalim raking, empty utensils, altamiti. In other words, don't stint. Get as many as you can. And after you have collected them, close the door behind you and from your children, with your children inside. And you will pour into all these kalim, but that which is where it's coming from, that last jug of oil, you keep stationary. First, why the Sogarta Hadelis? Rashi says, that a miracle like this, the covet of it, the best thing is it's done privately. You close the door. What about the question of pursuing Nisa, publicizing her? That you can do uh, afterwards. But now you do a secret, and there's a beautiful Medrash 
that says one of the reasons you do it, Beseser, is to avoid, let's say, Malachim, who are Malachim Shodin, who are enforcing it strictly and saying, no, this recipient doesn't deserve it. This recipient doesn't deserve a miracle on their behalf. To prevent that, you close the door. You do the miracle privately. So now, In other words, you take that one vessel that had even that little bit of oil, that's stationary, and you bring the other kalim as you're filling them up in front of it, the next one in front of it. But that one stays stationary. Um, then, therefore, the Himotaka, she pours the oil by Yehikim Lotakalim when it's filled, and the Medrash tells us there may have been broken Kalim, there may have been Kalim that were cracked, somehow they miraculously filled, and the oil keeps pouring. By Yehikim Lotakalim, by Tomarel Benar, when it's all filled, she tells her sons, Hagisha, I lie, old Kalim. Okay, bring the next utensil. There's no more utensils, we've run out of them. And the main pourer, the source, stops pouring oil. And now this woman comes, seeks out Elisha. Go now, sell the oil. Pay that voracious creditor, the at ubanayich techi venosa, and you and your children will live, assumably forever, on that which remains, the oil that remains. So, from the question by Yehikim Losakhelim, she goes to see. We learned several interesting uh, lessons from it. One, the Gemara says that, you know, often when a tzaddik, a gadol, a rav, gives you a bracha or performs next to a nase, that's it. You forget it. You don't go back to thank him. This woman's character, that she went back to acknowledge what he had done. Two, she is asking him really a question of supply and demand. That is now the time to sell the oil, because we see miraculously, you would think that with that much oil now on the market, the price would depress. But miraculously, the price of the oil went up. She is asking Alicia further that, isn't he the owner of the oil, not her? And he says, no, it's yours. Do this and do this. And finally, there's a medrash that says she is coming, and this woman is such a tzaddikis, she is coming to ask him a question on matzah, tithing it. Should she tithe the oil? And the answer, of course, is no, because it's not gedule karka, it's not coming from the source of the ground or of fruit or the tree, so she is excused from matzah. But this is just to give you an insight into her character, and supposedly she satisfies this evil creditor, uh, Yehoram, and she and her children live happily after. By he hayom, next situation, by Yavar Elisha El Shunam, he's near the district or territory of Shunam. Vishum Isha Gedola Vatepsacho Leecho Lechem, by Yehimi Dei Ogro Yosa Shoma Leecho Lechem. This woman, we describe her person as a Shunamis, 
And so from this, we have Mepharshim that said she is the sister of Avishag Hashunamis. You will recall when King David in his last days, he could not keep and retain his bodily warmth. They bring him a woman named Avishag Hashunamis that gives her of the body warmth, etc., and, and makes him comfortable in his last days, that it was his sister. So that is most of it can't be. I mean, she would be ancient, this woman, if it were really Avishag's sister. In any event, she is Isha Gedola. She is a very um, renowned woman, renowned for her mitzvahs, renowned for her wealth. But Texan, she stops as a man to eat bread. She doesn't know who he is. And each time he's in the neighborhood, apparently Elisha, like Eliyahu, would travel and traverse the length and breadth of the country with the people, performing miracles, advising, etc., teaching Torah. And so she has him stop each time. But Tomer Elisha, and she says to her husband, I know this man is a holy man. He comes with us, uh, stays with us often. Let us make a little attic partition. We'll put there a nita, a bed, a shulchan, a table, kise, a chair, a lamp. And when he comes, he knows he will stop. That's his headquarters. That's his inn. How does she know he's an Isha or Kim? That the Gemara teaches us that the woman has much more insight into who her guests are that say that the man does. She notices things that he wouldn't. What does she notice about Elisha? That when he eats or when he's a fly never settles near his food. That he has a reach of Ganeden. That his room is clean. That there is, you know, there is no uh, untoward um, signs of anything in his room. She knows he's an Ishalokim. And so as the days went by Yosser Aliyah, he does that by Yishkaf Shama. One day he goes up for a rest. By Yomer El Gechazi Naro. Now we are introduced to Gechazi, who is Elisha's aide de camp. He's a, he serves Elisha. And he's not, as we're going to see, a good guy. But Karol Shunamis has summoned the Shunamis to me. By they summon her. By when he says to her, Omarna Eleha ask her, he has her as an intermediate. He may harata Eleni, you have done so many wonderful things for us. It's called what you've done. what can we do for you? Can I speak uh, on your behalf to the king or to the generals? And she answers a beautiful answer. I am content to dwell within my people, within Sibor. What the Parshim says is what he's really asking is that it's Rosh Hashanah. And he's asking her that can I intercede with the Kaddish Baruch Hu? And she answers, I want to be with the Koach of the Tzibor. I'm content with that. I don't need any intercession. 
I just want to be with my people, with my seabor. And from this beautiful lesson that we learned is that there's an agadasa of a big rav who would not permit himself to get an aliyah on Rosh Hashanah. Why? He did not want his name to be out there, to be called out. Because as he says, he learns from this, I'm happy to dwell anonymously within my people as one of the tzibor. So, and what can I do for her? He asks, comes up, this woman has no children. Apparently she must be barren. And her husband, of course, is very old, so there's no opportunity there. He says, summon her. She stays in the, as is appropriate, in the doorway. Next time, a year, and next time at Rosh Hashanah, this time, you will give birth, you will have a son clinging to you. From this, by the way, from the Yudchovekes, we get that the son was Chabakbuk, who also was a latter Navi. But you will notice that the language, is the exact same language the Malach tells Sarah in Ba'era. And for this reason, Perik um, Dalit is the Mafter. We read on Shabbos Ba'era, which is the enunciation to Sarah that she will have a child. But he says he will cling to you. And she answers very interestingly. Don't mislead your servant. What does she mean by that? She's noticed in the nuance of his announcement that there's no mention what happens after she cradles him in her arms. Will he live? Will he survive infancy? And she's very concerned, and he reassures her. Exactly a year later, Elisha, like Elisha told her. He grows up, and as a young man, maybe a teenager, he goes out with his father into the field to help him reap. And suddenly he says to his father, Roshi, Roshi, my head. He's obviously gotten sunstroke. Will he more quickly take him to his mother? Will he more they bring him to his mother? By she cradles him in her arms at Hatsarayim till the afternoon. By Yomos, he dies. Instinctively, she takes him up to Elisha's bed in the attic. she closes the door behind her. She goes to her husband, send me one of the uh, workers, and one of the junkies. I am going to run to uh, Elisha and return. 
Bayomer, he says, Madua Tolechet, why are you going to see him all of a sudden? Hayom lo chodesh lo Shabbos, a very interesting phrase. It's not Rosh Chodesh, it's not Shabbos. We know it's, it's, it's Rosh Hashanah. But Tomer Shalom, and all she answers him is, I will see you later. From this, we learn the wonderful minhag that a Talmud should always go visit his Rebbe during the Regalim, during certain holidays, he spends it with his Rebbe. The reason he's asking her is because Rosh Chodesh and Shabbos were when the women were encouraged to go to visit Gedolim and Rabbanim. And he says, where are you going? It's not Rosh Chodesh, it's not Shabbos. And that's where we get the Minhah. Do not stop until I tell you to stop. He instinctively knows something is wrong, and he says to Gehazi, hurry, run, and see what the problem is. What the problem is, we will unravel in Mir Tzachem, 8.45 a.m., with an accompanying miracle of Trias HaMesim, only the second time in all of Torah. I can't.